Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. Thank you for joining me today. Here is the continuation of the teaching. Okay, moving on here to the next section. Uh, verses 13 through 16, we talked about the salt and the light. I.e., we Christians are like the salt and the light in this dark world. So before I even proceed, let's talk about why the Lord Jesus is making this comparison of us Christians being like a salt. So salt has three major qualities or characteristics that illustrate the life of a Christian. Salt is a preservative. We know that. Salt can and often prevents food from going bad. Likewise, as a salt, being a preservative, our lifestyle should act as a hindrance to spread corruption. Does that make sense to you? Our lifestyle should preserve or prevent corruption from spreading in this world. Okay? Number two, salt is a seasoning. People use salt to spice food. Likewise, the life of a Christian has to be spicy. It has to enhance flavor to the dull lives of the unbelievers. So we should bring flavor to the world. We should bring flavor to the lives of unbelievers and let them see true joy, the true joy walking with the Lord. And lastly, salt creates taste. So we should influence others as the salt of the world. Uh, so let's go here. You are the salt of the earth, i.e. our lifestyle should attract others to us. Our lifestyle should add flavor to, to people's uh, dark and dull lives. But if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? So true. So if we as Christians, we lose flavor in our lives, if we as Christians... We become indifferent or we become dull to the things of God, then we are no good. Then there is no thirst. Then people cannot see our lifestyles and be thirsty to want a relationship with God. That is what the Lord Jesus is saying. Uh, going back to repeat that, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trample on the foot. So we as Christians, we can choose to be useful or to be useless. Mm -hmm. And how do we become useless? When we become tasteless. When our lives have no joy. When our lives do not attract people to God. When our lifestyle does not work as a hindrance to sin then we are no good. That is what the Lord really is saying. Our lifestyles should attract people to God's kingdom. Our lifestyles should bring joy into people's lives and into our own lives. And then he goes on to talk about the light. We are also the light of the world. Verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A town belt on a hill cannot be hidden. So true. Just imagine driving down. I live here in Southern California. Some areas are very hilly. And many times when I'm driving, I just see homes that are built on a hill. They can't be hidden. 
Likewise, when we walk in the truth of God, the light will shine <laughs> in the darkness. People will take notice. Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. What is the Lord saying? Our lifestyle should reflect the light of God in such a way that we should not hide it. It should not be hidden. It should be obvious. It should be visible. Actually, he said the same thing here in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Hallelujah. What the Lord is saying here, your good deeds, your actions, your lifestyle should reflect Christ-like qualities so that this light shines in the dark place. Whenever you go to your workplace, you bring the light of God to the workplace through your through your mannerisms, through being a good employee, a good employer. Your lifestyle, your good actions as a good husband, a good steward of, of, of money reflects the light of Christ and it attracts others to you. One thing we should not do and we should never do is to <laughs> prevent our light from shining forth. And how do you guard against preventing the light of God in you from shining forth sin. Stay away from sin. When you stop practicing sin, the light will shine. Stay away from bad company. When you, when you stop hanging out with bad, evil company, the light would shine. But if you are practicing sin, if you are, are hanging around bad company, those are things that would prevent the light of Christ in you from shining. So walk in the light as Christ is and your light will attract people. That is what the Lord is teaching us there that we are the light and the salt of the world. Okay, so now we move on to verse 17. Verses 17 all the way through verse uh, 20. The Lord Jesus will talk about fulfillment of the law. Now, before I even get to these verses, I want to say a few things about this. The, um, the Old Testament law, I talked about this in, in the uh, first five books of Moses, but just in case you haven't uh, listened to my teachings there, these laws have three major categories, okay? We talked about the ceremonial laws this way specifically related to the nation of Israel's worship of God and worship to God, this was pointing them to the Messiah. We discussed this in the book of Leviticus. And this has been fulfilled in Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has fulfilled this, okay? Second category of law was the uh, civil laws. This had to do with the daily living, how the Israelites had to live with their neighbors. We talked about this also in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy. The specific laws that were pertaining to the ancient nation of Israel are no longer relevant. However, the guidelines or the principles are still applicable. And uh, the third major category here were the moral laws such as the Ten Commandments. We talked about this out of the book of Exodus. So keep in mind as the Lord Jesus is about to talk about fulfillment of the law. Keep 
these three major categories of the Old Testament law in the forefront. So with that, we get into verse 17. The Lord Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That is self-explanatory. I don't even have to teach. But let me explain this. What Jesus meant by, I have come to fulfill them. See, I, like I said earlier, the Old Testament laws are not absolute. They have not been abolished. The principles are still applicable. And Jesus Christ came to fulfill them and he has fulfilled them. Meaning that he has come to give us a, a deeper interpretation or a deeper and a better understanding of the Old Testament laws, which is love. That's it. Interpreting or applying the Old Testament law through love. So Jesus Christ is like, I am here to fulfill them, not abolish them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, Bible scholars tell us that the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the yard. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Y-O-D. That is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It looks like an apostrophe, but it can make a significant difference in the meaning of a sentence or a paragraph. So the Lord Jesus is pointing us to the fact that not the smallest, smallest letter, such as an apostrophe, right here, will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He is the one who will fulfill, and he has fulfilled all of the Old Testament laws and given us a deeper way to interpret the law through love and grace. Verse 19, Therefore, anyone who set aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we see the Lord here, Pay more attention to those who practices his commandments or God's righteous law. And this is a running theme across the Bible. It's the doers of the word of God. Those who practice the word of God are the ones who receive the blessings, not just those who listen or study. So the Bible admonishes us in the book of James to be doers of the word. We see the Lord saying the same thing. When you practice it, you are blessed. Verse 20, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is the Lord saying? <laughs> this is like an hmm, indirect way of saying that. You see, like I mentioned earlier, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these were highly religious people who, and even the Sadducees, who had a lot of outward display of holiness, but inwardly, they were corrupt. Inwardly, they had wrong 
malicious intentions. Their heart was not towards God. They did not love God or care for the people. They just, they were hypocrites. They displayed holiness outwardly, but inwardly, they were God haters. So Jesus is saying that unless your righteousness surpasses, meaning that unless your righteousness, unless you live and you practice the word of God coming purely from your heart, above and beyond what the Pharisees are doing, you won't see the kingdom of God. So to put it another way, the Lord Jesus is saying that those whose hearts, in context, those whose motives are pure, those whose hearts are pure, and they practice the word of God from purely heartfelt love for God, are the ones that will enter the kingdom of God and not the Pharisees who practices outwardly, but inwardly, they do not love God. Bottom line, love God with all of your heart. Obey God. God is looking at your at your heart, the intentions of your heart. So if you are ob obeying God out of a pure heart and not just outward display like the Pharisees, Jesus said, you are in the right track. Okay? Again, he is looking at the intentions of our hearts. Okay, moving on here to verse 21. And this information here uh, about murder, which I am about to cover from the Lord's teaching, you can find, in, find it in Luke 12, uh, 58 and 59. So verse 21, the Lord said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire of hell. Verse 23. Therefore, well, let me pause here before I even continue. See, what the Lord is about to teach here is about relationship or relationships with others. You have to keep this in mind. God is so clear about this. If we don't have healthy, good relationships with, with fellow human beings, how can we say we have a good relationship with God? Mm -hmm. So Jesus is about to start teaching on that. But before we get into that, let's get into the first uh, verses 21 here through 22. Let me offer some um, commentary here. We see the Lord teaching here about anger. And we know in Ephesians 4.26, the Bible teaches us clearly we should not let the sun go down with our anger. Anger just the emotion of anger is seen to God because it's opposite of love. And anger really is a deep resentment which can and often leads to destructive thinking and destructive actions such as murder. So Jesus is bringing us to the root of the matter, our heart. If we can deal with anger at the heart level, we would prevent that angry emotion from manifesting in the physical which 
can and often unfortunately lead to physical actions such as hurting someone or murdering someone. Which is why the Lord said that you've heard that you shall not murder. But if anyone is really even angry with a brother or a sister, that person is subject to, to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that word Raka there in the original language can be translated as anyone who says a word of contempt. It means... Uh, <laughs> It can imply something like empty head or worthless, meaning that if you say raka, meaning you're telling someone that you're worthless, using such words display a spirit of anger, resentment. And back in the ancient Jewish culture, when you use such harsh words of anger towards someone, you could be called to the Sanhedrin, which is the highest Jewish court. So Jesus is just saying that we need to work on our emotions, take control of our emotions. We should not allow anger to bring division between us and others. Okay? Now we come to um, verse 23 here. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to, at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. There you go. In the context here, Jesus is teaching about not, not being angry, not allowing the anger emotions to take root in your soul because that emotion can lead to physical display of hitting someone, killing someone. So we have to deal with the first thought or the first Attempt of murder, which is angry at someone, resentment, strong resentment towards others. Deal with that. Going back to verse 23 there, here is a very practical, essential application with what the Lord Jesus is teaching. In essence, in today's age and era, the Lord is teaching us that before we go to his house, i.e. church, or before we attend another Christian event, we should be certain to seek reconciliation and be at peace with one another before we come and offer our offerings, tidings to him, or even before we come to worship him. Okay? Because it is essential that we live at peace with one another before we seek the face of God. Jesus is teaching here about the essential ingredient of having a peaceful relationship, loving one another. Like I mentioned earlier, First John 4 teaches us, how can you say you love God that you have not seen and you cannot love your brother or sister whom you have seen? So that is what Jesus is highlighting here. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court, do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Verse 28, truly I tell you, you will be, I repeat, verse 26, truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last 
penny. Again, Jesus is teaching on broken relationships, how to how to restore relationships and to reconcile quickly with anyone who is angry at you. Don't let it drag on, on and on, and to live at peace. Friend, as some of you already know, this program is financially supported 100% by love gifts from listeners like yourself. So please, would you help us with a donation so that we can produce more programs and bless others? We need your financial support. To make a one-time donation, visit our website, drruthtanyi.org. That's D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Look for the donation button and donate right there. It is a very secure, simple, and easy process. Or, for more of an impact, would you prayerfully consider becoming a Christ-centered monthly partner with us? While on our website, you will find all of the information about becoming a Christ-centered partner. As a monthly partner, your regular prayers and financial support will enable us to produce more Bible teachings in order to reach more people and transform their lives with God's Word. For those of you who prefer regular email, you can send your donation to us. Here's the address. Dr. Ruth Tiny Ministries, P.O. Box 1806, Loma Linda, California, 92354. You can also email us with your questions about becoming a partner. Here's the email address, info at drruthtanyi.org. That's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Or you can always call us at 909-383-7978. Dr. Ruth Tanyi Ministries is a federal government-approved 501c corporation, which means that all of your donations are 100% tax-deductible, as allowed by the law. We thank you in advance for your kind donation and prayers. We pray for God's love and presence to anchor your soul today in Christ Jesus. I am Chris Oram. Stay blessed, and goodbye for now.